This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine, and we are doing our first ever Rattlecast. This is a new series we have going where we are trying to, to bring the magic of the Rattle reading series right into your pocket. Since it's our first stream, I guess we should uh, start out by saying a little bit about Rattle. Rattle was founded in 1995 by Alan Fox, and the goal was always to uh, find a place for, for poetry that was outside of the academic institutions. Um, you know, we kind of felt like poetry lived in, in universities, even in the 1990s, and we wanted to have a place where everybody could um, have a home with poetry, no matter whether or not you have an MFA or whether or not you're, you know, regardless of race or gender or age or educational status or anything like that. It was an open door for all of, all of poets to participate and that's what we always did. We've done that for 25 years, and we've had a reading series at the Flint Ridge Bookstore for the last eight years. And it's been a great reading series. I loved it. Uh, we had a great open mic. Uh, we had great poets coming through because everybody who'd come through as a featured reader was always kind of vetted by having had poems appear in Rattle, which is a really tough magazine to get into. And... Um, so it ended up being a great reading series with great open mic readers, and the only problem is that we can only reach uh, about 30 people you know, who, who could fit in the room at the bookstore, and we could only have poets on who could make it, and we can only have people who um, watch it you know, in California. So we have subscribers in something like 55 countries or something, and only, you know, only California poets could come to the reading series. So this is an alternative where we're trying to recreate the magic of the Rattle Reading Series, which was always casual, laid back, just people sitting around enjoying really good poetry. And um, that's what we're going to do now. And for today, for the first reading, our poet is Benjamin Alshire. Um, and he's, he appears in uh, this issue of Rattle, issue 64, the newest issue, which features a tribute to Instagram poets, and maybe we'll talk about that later. And his, uh, his new book is Currency. And if you look at the back, we'll read a little bit of... Uh, Ben's bio. Benjamin Alshire travels the world as a poet for hire, writing poems for strangers in the street on a manual typewriter. His work has appeared or is forthcoming in Boston Review, Green Mountains Review, Havana Times, and others. And um, so Ben, yeah, travels the world as a poet for hire, writing poems for people. I think we should read this part too. Uh, this is a note about the poems. For almost seven years now, I've made my living, this has been in his own voice, I've made my living primarily from writing poems for strangers in the street on a manual typewriter. It's a quasi-Marxist process. I sit at a small table and chair and passers-by approach me with a topic and, they, and then they come back in 10 minutes and pay whatever they think the poem is worth. This has earned me anywhere from 10 cents to $300 per poem, but typically 10 or $20. The topics I'm commissioned to write about range from generalities, love, childhood, death, to more specific things like nuclear holocaust, seen through the eyes of a puppy, or what the foot said to the shoe. At first I kept copies by slipping a carbon in between two sheets of paper until I had suitcases bursting with them, and a friend mercifully gave me their old smartphone. The poems you see here are retyped for clarity. I would often be low on carbon paper and use the same sheet until it produced nothing but ghostly hieroglyphics. And occasionally it made small edits. I made small edits, but rarely. And that was uh, 2017 where Ben wrote that note. Uh, and let's bring him in here. Here's uh, Benjamin Alshire. Hi, Ben. Hey, how you doing? I'm, how you doing, I'm Tim? good. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah. So, uh, so where are you coming from today? 
Right now, I'm uh, coming to you live from the living room of Angela Palm, author of Riverine. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> she's a great, uh, great uh, um, uh, prose writer, but now she's uh, doing poetry too. And she's an old friend of mine, so she's letting me stay in her uh, child's bedroom oh, wow. <laughs> while I'm here. Yeah, it's it's almost like a child's bedroom tour. Oh, that's great this summer yeah. because uh, I was just in Paris and staying in this French poet's uh, child's bedroom as uh-huh. well. So. <laughs> wow, when you came all the way out to funny. LA earlier in June, you were actually one of the last readers of our reading series, uh, the physical version of our reading oh, series. Yeah. yeah, so you've really yeah, been yeah. around this summer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Europe, um, and then also like yeah, the Southwest tour, that kind of culminated in that in that Rattle series, which is so much fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, are you gonna read a poem now to start us off? Sure. Uh, this one is called "Fake Noose." Okay. My smartphone is a nesting doll, suspiciously heavy, and rattling faintly, like a SARS saber sheathed. Something doesn't add up. I open her like a jam jar, find Henry Kissinger head scarved and peasant skirted, clutching his Nobel Peace Prize, but I pop him like a Bud Light. And then Putin glistens, bare-breasted. I twist his hips apart, and that's when it happened. It was like a farm spilling out. It was a like farm. So many emperors in that circus giving me a thumbs up, the sound of one hand clapping. I had so much consent manufactured, my applause was deafening. Now I can do anything, even speak French. Listen. Alternative fact, pas de de, non de guerre, coup d'état, la la la. It's a, a poem I wrote um, while I was being uh, interviewed for this um, TV thing in New Orleans. And uh, the guy said, oh, write me a poem about the, the news, you know. So I wrote that for him and then uh, read it for him, but they, they cut it out. <laughs> Last time, or the first time I heard from you, I, um, it was maybe, maybe three or four years ago, I'd say. And I was just really amazed at what you were doing with this Poet for Hire thing. I'd never heard of anything like it at the time. Uh, there are a few poets that I've heard of since that do it, including a, a poet in our current issue. Uh, Brian uh, Sonia Wallace does it too, as uh, mm. Rent Poet, I think is his website. Um, but so how did you get into that? Well, I had a friend named Robert McKay. Mm-hmm. He's a really, really incredible poet, uh, also from Vermont. And he used to do it, uh, not, not for money in the street so much, but as a, a sort of, um, po- a poetic game, kind of like a surrealist game or something like that, you know? Um, and he would, uh, we were both obsessed with typewriters and he would, you know, bring them out at parties and things like that. And so I started uh, hiring him to set up. I ran a small press um, at the time, and we'd have these uh, poetry readings. And so I would, I would have him writing poems for people in the kind of booze and schmooze mm-hmm. period before and after the reading, you know. And uh, I kind of thought it was a novelty. I didn't, 
even I didn't even think that they were good poems, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I I was like, hey, can I read some of those? And uh, I read this just like incredible poem by by Robert. And so um, that was when I realized it was sort of this. Uh, it wasn't a gimmick. It was a real possible. It was a real possibility. Mm-hmm. And then um, I had been touring so much as a musician. I used to play trumpet in bands and stuff and bus was such a huge part of our income that it was a really natural uh, way to kind of join those things. And so I got a booth at the farmer's market in Burlington, Vermont, which is this really, it's like a packed, awesome farmer's market. And so it would be, you know, cheese, uh, vegetables, meat, poetry, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which was, uh, which was pretty, pretty fun. And uh, from there, you know, the, the newspaper did like a feature on me and I kind of was like, wow, I can kind of I can kind of do this. And so I, I quit my weird night watchman job <laughs> that I was doing and uh, started touring and moved to New Orleans and just kind of never, never looked back. You know, well, that's that's yeah. just really interesting. It's such an unusual thing for a poet to be doing. Are you are you on tour most of the time? Like how often do you go out? And do the work? No, uh, but sometimes even seven months a year, oh, wow. I think, is the mm-hmm. most that I've done. But this this summer it was uh, three three months, mm-hmm. which is um, like a pretty good amount. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> even two two is almost a little better, actually. But yeah, yeah. So how many like in a typical day, like like you know, lay out how how it works. How many people come up to you, and and is it they're like a is the first person difficult to you know, attract and then you sort of draw a crowd or, you know, it's always hard to break the ice. How does that work? Like how does, I'm really yeah. curious. I've never even seen anybody doing this. Yeah. Sometimes, um, it's always different, you know, in the street, it's really, uh, like I was just working, uh, in the street in front of Shakespeare and company in Paris mm-hmm. and it's just jammed with people all the time. It's like all these literary pilgrims there. It's, uh, so usually, you know, say on a Saturday, it's just, um, constant like i'll have a line i'll have a, a list of poems to do and i'll have to uh tell people to wait and stuff like that oh yeah um but then uh what i came back the next saturday and it was it was pretty mellow you know mm-hmm. but uh so it's very unpredictable huh. you know yeah, yeah yeah interesting but i think it's it's about um the strange sort of there might be somebody that really wants a poem but they're busy and so they don't stop you know uh-huh and maybe they'll come back the next day or something. And uh, it's really good for people who are sort of um, strolling around mm-hmm. because uh, they, don't, they don't have to be somewhere at a certain time. Yeah. You know, that uh-huh. can be frustrating. Sometimes sometimes people think it's this instantaneous, you know, thing they can like click on on the Internet uh-huh. and just have it instantly. And it, uh, it takes a little more time than that. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, so I'm sure you have like a lot of stories from – you know, interesting people who came up to you and do you have any, um, does anybody ever approached you after the fact, like, like much later and, and talked about the poems? Yeah, all the time. I mean, I get, I get messages from people, you know, through email or, or social media or something. Um, I also, I wrote this, this, uh, poem for, for someone in Washington square park in New York. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, six months later, they contacted me and said, oh, by the way, I'm a journalist for Neon Magazine in Germany, and I want to write a feature on you. Uh-huh. I was oh, like, wow. wow, okay. You know, and I, I was like, oh, Neon Magazine, what is this, a zine or something? Mm-hmm. I looked it up. It's like Stern. It's like this big, it's a huge, it's kind of like the vice of uh, Germany or uh-huh. something. Oh, wow. And uh, so, yeah, it kind of happens all the time. People Or people will say, you know, uh, there's this guy who said, uh, oh, you, you wrote me and my girlfriend a love poem. 
and uh, that was when we first met. And uh, now we're getting married. You know, will you come to our wedding? Uh-huh. You know, yeah. I've had, uh, oh wow, <laughs> things like that. You know? yeah. Uh, yeah. What What do you think the most common subject is that people ask you to write about? Probably love. Mm-hmm. Unrequited um, love or lost love or or longing for love? More of a uh, ode, ode to love, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But then within that, it's so broad that uh, I usually interview people a little bit and I try to dig and get something uh, really specific and unique to them, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, I, don't, I don't just, it's not like if someone says, uh, write me a love poem. And I say, okay. And I love that. Da, 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 da. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll kind of probe into the situation because it's not enough to just know love. I mean, I've written maybe 20,000 love poems, mm-hmm. you know, for people. And so it's, I need, uh, in order for it to not be a generic thing, mm-hmm. which is the danger, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I have to get some, some personal anecdotes, some unique information from someone. Um, and it can take a while. Sometimes I'll even, sometimes people, They'll say, write me a love poem. And I'll say, oh, okay, well, what, what do you want it to be about? You know, like what specifically? And they'll say, oh, love. And I'll say, okay, well, how, how'd you meet? And they'll say, oh, just, you know, friends, mutual friends. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, wh- where were <laughs> you? What was the specific place where you met? And they were like, oh, I don't know, uh, a bar or something. Uh-huh. Okay, wh- where, where were you the moment you first said, I love you? Oh, I don't know, at the house or something. <laughs> you know, okay, what do, you, what do you do for work? Oh, we work in an office. And they're just giving me nothing, 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 nothing. And I'll keep probing, keep probing. And sometimes they even get a little frustrated with me, but I just keep going. And then this happened one time and it was just like most boring people of all time. Uh-huh. They're just giving me no, no information at all. And then uh, I said, well, tell me about the wedding. Tell me about how it went down. And they said, oh, it's really great. And they're describing the most boring bourgeois kind of wedding ever. And then they said, oh, and um, it was in the evening. And then there was a moon bow mm-hmm. over the wedding. And I was like, oh my God, oh, that's wow, it. Yeah. A moon bow. I didn't even, I had never heard of a moon bow. Apparently that's a, that's a meteorolo- meteorological mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And uh, so I, moon bow, you know, there we go. It's kind of, uh, uh, it's that kind of, that kind of thing. I can all, it's also an opportunity to inject politics into it mm-hmm. because uh, <laughs> just because it's a love poem doesn't mean it can't contain something about the apocalypse, say, you know, the end of times, which might, has a potential to even heighten the love mm-hmm. situation going on. Yeah, yeah. You said you said you wrote twenty thousand love poems. Was that just a you know? Was that hyperbole, or do you think you really have written twenty thousand love poems? I I don't know. Uh, I can't. I, yeah, it's kind of a, a guess. You know. Yeah, I was wondering. I mean, how many poems have you written, and and how many do you save? I mean, it must be you know flooded with poems if you do dozens a yeah. day, every day for seven months at a time. Sometimes. Yeah. I used to, I'm not sure how many exactly. I used to save every single one mm-hmm. because I used carbon paper. And it was so many that uh, it actually became a huge problem. Like what I was saying in that note, I had suitcases just, I couldn't close the suitcases that are filled with all these. Mm-hmm. And I have no money and my family has no money. I have no property. My family has no property. It's like I don't, I can't, I don't have rich friends that I can just like keep all my stuff there. It's, it uh-huh. becomes a real becomes yeah, a real yeah, yeah. physical problem. I move apartments sometimes mm-hmm. several times a year. I've been mm-hmm. evicted illegally in New Orleans twice in like <laughs> two years. It's like it goes on and on. And so I, so in 2016, uh, up until then, I had been sort of a luddite or whatever you want to call it. Like I didn't actually have a phone at all, and I didn't mm-hmm. have a, a laptop until 2014 or something like that. And then um, 
a friend, uh, Alison Prine, who's a great poet, uh, she was getting a new smartphone, and so she gave me her old one. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, I can't really pretend anymore, you know? Uh-huh. My thinking was that I, I refuse to spend $800 on a on this object, you know? But then mm-hmm. someone gave me one, and I was like, well, I can't pretend to not be able to do this. And so just snapping a photo is amazing because I only have to snap a photo of the ones that I think there's some grain of something in there, even one line that I want to remember. Mm-hmm. And all the ones, because like, let's be real, like a lot of these poems are not good. A lot of these poems are, are just bullshit, you know, kind <laughs> uh-huh. of uh, amuse-bouche kind of thing. People are like, mm-hmm. write a poem about my dog or whatever, you know. And it's, yeah. uh, so those ones, I don't have to deal with them anymore, you know. Uh-huh. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and do you, do you try, you know, try to write a good poem every time or do you sometimes you're just like, Oh, I'm done with it today. I'm going to phone him in. Yeah, of course. Uh, usually I'll stop if I, if I know that I can't, if it's for whatever reason, there's kind of too much going on in my mind or, or whatever. Uh, I'll just stop instead of, um, cause it, uh, it's sort of physically painful to, to be like writing terrible poems for people, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But occasionally, you know, I do like corporate events now, once in a while now, which is just sort of a, a morally ambiguous situation mm-hmm. uh, sometimes because they're often like, you know, they're evil. They're objectively evil people uh, mm-hmm. that I'm being paid by and that I'm working for and stuff. And so um, in those situations, I do feel a little bit, it's kind of like poetic prostitution, uh-huh. you know, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. I just, I need that money and they need a little charming artifact mm-hmm. and yeah, uh, yeah. 800 people at the event and I, wow. there's no, no time to think and there's no time to interview people in that way. And mm-hmm. they say, love, wow. say, uh-huh. hey, love, the dawn, <laughs> it dawns on the day of the, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ching, here you go. Like the next person, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's just so interesting. It's such a different, I don't, I've never met a poet that, that writes like that. It's really cool. Do you write for yourself too? Or do you end up just, I mean, like, do you ever sit at home and write yeah. poems too? Yeah, I do. Uh, and I also, it's worth knowing that I I started writing poetry when I was, you know, a teenager and I started publishing, you know, before I could drink a beer in a bar. And so there, I have a whole body of work that existed before I ever took the typewriter into the street. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's interesting also because I, I always used typewriters. Like I didn't uh-huh. have a, a laptop and... Um, my dad had this whole collection of typewriters and so I, so I was always using them, but, um, uh, yeah, so I've, I've never stopped writing poems for myself too. It's not, it's not, I'm not like this one trick pony that can only, you know, uh, write poems in the street, which is Mm -hmm. what maybe a lot of the sort of imitators are. They just, they just go out in the street and they write poems and they Mm -hmm. make money and they get drunk and then they go home or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. But, well, let's let's hear some more of those poems. Again, we're looking at uh, poems from Currency by Benjamin Alshire, and so I should say it's a beautiful book too. I love it was um, Honeybee Press that produced mm-hmm. it. And it's got this cloth cover and French fold flaps, and and it feels uh, if you look inside, the poems are um, you know reproduced from a typewriter, and there's a beautiful feel to this book too. It's it's very uh, I know it's a good really well done book, and I like a lot of the poems in here. So let's hear some more of them. Thank you. This one is called Bullets, and uh, it's kind of interesting because you you would think a lot of the people that ask me for poems are kind of, you know, nice, liberal, artistically minded people, but um, you really get, you get everything you get. You get homeless people, you get 
evil bankers, you get, you know, cops, strippers, you get, you get the whole swath of, of humanity. And so this one was for, uh, these sort of bro type guys who asked me for a poem about fucking bullets, man. Yeah. They wanted, uh, an ode to how great bullets are because they kill people. And isn't that a great thing? Um, and so it's sort of a tricky situation because I want their money. So I can't like I'm using them in a sense. I'm hustling them for their money. But uh, I so I have to give them something that they'll like. I can't just rant about gun gun, you know, uh, anti gun <laughs> rights or something. So it's a it's a tricky line to um, to toe. But this is what I gave them bullets. We are the doorway yawning through which this world's last tigress will exit. But we will also feed you, and we will set your nation free, should you ever want it to be free. Don't deny us. You disemboweled whole mountain ranges to forge us. Just think of that. Or think of starlight. The universe riddled by our leaving and what shines through it. Um, so uh, I guess I'll just keep going. Uh, yeah, just, one, just keep going and do, do a bunch kinda, of Just kind of run with it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, run with it. This one is called Puppy. And it's uh, at this point I've I've put a I've uh, I tell people no pets at all, but this one was kind of a special situation. It was a, a newspaper sent a, a journalist undercover to stump me. They were going to write an article about how I was a fake and uh, wasn't actually writing good poems and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so they decided to um, they told me all this and now we're we're friends and stuff now. But they they so their idea for the article was that they would give me a topic that was impossible to write a poem about. And uh, what they asked for was a, a, a poem about the nuclear holocaust seen through the eyes of a puppy, which um, unbeknownst to them was like the, that's one of my favorite topics I've ever received, you know, uh, so, um, yeah, they ended up publishing the poem and stuff and the, the article changed. It's kind of cool. Uh, puppy. My shining wet eyes saw it all coming. The moment of terrible light followed by eternal night. I had heard them whispering in the parlor for days, frowning at the glowing screens they came to love more than me. Believe it or not, I don't miss them. I never needed them in the first place. Now I am growing up. Now I'm growing into a wolf. Um, this next one I wrote, uh, it's one of the first poems I wrote in Paris for someone to send to their uh, friend who they always joked that they would write telegrams to each other. Um, and uh, the friend was suicidal. And um, so this is what I, this is what I uh, wrote for her. Telegram to a suicidal friend. Lily, greetings from Paris. Stop. The rain is inexhaustible. Stop. 
It makes me think of you. Stop. Not that you could ever be measured by the elliptical paths of celestial bodies, but happy birthday. Stop. In the street, I heard a priest muttering in Latin, and it made me think of you. Stop. I saw a child eating alphabet soup, and it reminded me of playing Scrabble with you. Stop. The tiles cool and secret in our palms. Stop. The possibilities infinite. Stop. Lily. Stop. Never stop. Stop. Uh, yeah, writing, writing in Paris has been um, uh, a really inspiring um, uh, place to work. I got a lot of really interesting situations and uh, there's a lot of, yeah, like I was saying literary pilgrims come there and people often have um, interesting topics. Um, this, this one, uh, yeah, I wrote for the owner of Shakespeare and Company, Sylvia Whitman, who's, uh, this incredible, you know, um, impresario of, uh, of literature in Paris and everything. And, uh, at the time I was, I was living in the bookstore, I was sleeping there as a tumbleweed it's called where you, you just, cause I didn't have any money and I was in Paris. And so, uh, uh, you can live inside the bookshop if you just shelve books for a couple hours a day as a tumbleweed. It's called, and so I did that, and one day I said, Sylvia, do you want a poem? And she said, uh, oh, yeah, write me a poem about motherhood, which was really frightening to me, um, both because I'm, uh, you know, a uh, uh, selfish young bachelor at the time, and also my, my mother had just died, and uh, um, it's kind of an interesting, interesting scenario. I was really stumped until I remembered this quote from Grace Paley, the wonderful poet and, and fiction writer. And she said in her poem responsibility, it is the responsibility of the poet to be a woman. Motherhood. Nine moons in the making of his leontine hair, but millennia have passed in order to forge those gold shocks shaking along the shop's cobblestones. It is no coincidence of language that maternity is as close to eternity as we can reach. Even the sen, swollen, pregnant with cirrus and rain, tell me, is it possible for any of us to be so heavy with another that we cut them loose? Um, and that one ended up in the uh, Iowa Review under strange uh, circumstances, which I uh, describe in the novel that I'm writing, um, which will be interesting. This one, uh, this one was another really interesting topic. Someone asked me for a poem um, that would be what the foot would say, what a foot would say to a shoe. So this is what I gave them, what the foot said to the shoe. It wasn't supposed to be like this. I exist because two animals rocked desperately in pleasure, oblivious to anything else. Your parents are the Chinese children hurling themselves out factory windows. Google it. I never asked to be bound in the skin of the slaughtered. What you never realized is that pain makes me stronger than you. I used to walk everywhere naked and never get sore. I can do it again. Trust me. Um, 
Um, and maybe I'll close this part here with a, a short poem for um, all the cigarette smokers out there. Um, it's called Paul Malls, which is my brand. And so, yeah, someone asked me for a poem about cigarettes and sex and death, which was, uh, which was a fun one to write. Uh, Paul Malls. You love me because by slowly killing you, I make you feel more alive. You suck me as much for the brief pleasure as for the momentary pause from a boredom you cannot name. You need me more than doctors will ever know, for I am the nipple of your mother, which you again and again set aflame. In the darkness, you would be invisible if not for me. <laughs> How was that? Was that about 10 minutes? Or? Yeah, that, that was perfect. That was great. Yeah, cool. thanks, Ben. And uh, we could show some of the poems in the book as we were reading them, so that's pretty cool, too. Mm. And we've got uh, two dozen people watching live, so even though you can't hear applause, people are applauding in their homes and in their pockets right. and stuff. Yeah, it's about the same Excellent. amount of people we have in our regular reading series, so it's kind of perfect. Um, cool. so, so the poem you have uh, in our issue, which I'll shoot back to the document cam for a second, um, it's already been online, so everybody can read it there. But it's Good Manners. Um, and it's another one of your poems that you wrote as a poet for hire. And there's a great story that goes along with it. Um, but but tell me a little bit about uh, Instagram and uh, how you use it and how you feel about it. Because I think I, I, you know, you mentioned earlier that you have a little bit of, uh, you know, you're of two minds about Instagram. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's a tool and I, I hear this I hear this reasoning a lot and uh, I, I'm gonna eventually push back against that a little bit but first I'll say that I think it's a tool and you can you can use it in a in a good a way that's good for your career and things like that um, it's a way to reach an audience and things like that um, uh, and then at the same time I think it uh, operates I think social media in general is evil I mean, I think it was created by evil people who um, are making money off of um, they're making money off of sort of turning people into zombies who just mm -hmm. sort of stare at the screen because the it's like uh, they used to say um, time is money and now it's eyes are money and so whatever it takes to just get people's eyes sort of hooked on to uh, content like it's mm -hmm. not poetry anymore. I've heard some people, some people are like, I love your content. Like, you know, I love uh, your brand. I love yeah, your content. Yeah. And, and, uh, artists are not, artists aren't artists. They're makers. Uh, are there are no art studios anymore. They're maker spaces and, oh, wow. uh, people don't have style. It's a brand and people mm -hmm. don't make art. They make, they make content They're content creators. And I, uh, I, I really don't, um, agree with all that kind of stuff. And I, I think, part of it is uh part of it really relies on on mimesis like the idea of imitation mm -hmm. you know um because there's sort of there's impulse like the two kind of main forms of creation you know you can have a an impulse which comes from some uh non-scientific sort of place right it's kind of a mystical mm -hmm. thing inspiration whatever people have a internal impulse to just create something um uh, and then there's mimesis, which is you see someone else doing something and you copy them. Mm -hmm. And they're both 
necessary for for art you know like uh for anyone who starts painting you know you you start uh you start imitating the masters or or whatever um or most almost all painters you know mm-hmm. yeah. i guess you could say some outside art it's like they never went to museum they never saw things like that but i think even even then you know even outsider artists they've come across a magazine with the paint that you know um mm-hmm. things like that they're not they're not totally you know um uh enclosed from the world and stuff and uh so i've seen i'm i'm kind of a latecomer to social media uh I, I like I said I didn't have a phone, I didn't have a computer, things like that. I was I, I thought it was really evil and I just refused to participate mm-hmm. in it. Um and then in twenty sixteen when that friend gave me the phone, I was like, you know what? I was I was watching friends of mine uh who had hadn't uh hadn't really uh done done very much in the poetry world, just like boom, they start they get some connection or something and they're just like taking off in all these ways and I I was like, wow, I'm going to I'm going to be a dinosaur. I'm going to just be left behind. I'm going to be like uh, you know, Ginsburg love TV, like yeah, Ginsburg yeah. got on TV. <laughs> like it's, it's silly to uh, artists use whatever tools are available to them, like, you know, um, etc. like Man Ray wasn't like, oh, fuck film. I'm going to do daguerreotypes cuz that's the real shit. Like, uh, no, Man yeah. Ray would use whatever, you know, and so I I kind of got with the program and uh and started doing it and um so I do it, but I also, I really do think it's, uh, I think in the end, um, it's like a colossal waste of time or something. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I was recently, I, I got like the screen time app or I started looking at the screen time app on my uh-huh. phone. I was horrified. I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm working a part-time job. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, well, I, I spend like, hours a day for rattle just on social media. I mean, it, it really yeah. adds up, you know, you post here, you post there, you make a thing for this thing. Yeah. I mean, it's great advertising though at the same time. And it's great to bring traffic and, and bring people to real work. It, it's strange to me because I feel like, um, um, social media is sort of anti-poetry. It's like the actual, like technical inverse of poetry because it's not depthful yeah. and it's not contemplative and it's quick, but then you can you can still bring people in through it. So so I think Instagram is definitely useful, um, yeah. and uh, and there are people doing really interesting art, which we we published a bunch of them in this issue, um, and and I include yourself in that too. And I think um, I don't know. I think of, I think there's good and bad with everything. Everything's a double edged sword, and, and there's there's some good with yeah. it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might it might even be a generational thing, like the sort of um, older millennial type. I'm 32. But I kind of feel like a Gen X person because I mm. grew up in the in the country in a yeah. house with no TV <laughs> and stuff like that. And um, I have a, a friend who was hanging out in Paris, uh, Rihanna McGavin, who's a really incredible uh, LA poet. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's 21, I think. And we were talking we were talking about all this stuff, and I was saying, "Oh, it's so addictive." I was kind of doing this whole line that I was doing. And she's from a totally different generation, you know. She was like Seltzer. That's for old people. You know, I was like, oh, my God. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I love seltzer. I was like, oh, my God, I'm old, you know. But uh, so I said, you know, oh, it's so addictive, blah, blah, blah. And as a digital native, I think she's coming from a totally different – I don't want to speak for her, but Mm -hmm. to kind of paraphrase what she was saying was that she's coming from kind of a totally different thing. She's a digital native, and she's grown up with it, and there's a natural – it's kind of like a natural – danger of life it's just Mm -hmm. a a thing that you have to be careful about in the same way yeah like a vice same way i know Mm -hmm. i have friends that drink too much and it's like it's a danger it's like you can't Mm -hmm. you can't become an alcoholic it's really it's not a good thing if you become an alcoholic and 
Uh, same thing with uh, with poking at this little thing all the time. And so I think uh, she has kind of a, a more holistic sort of, if I can <laughs> if I can go so far as like, you know, she'll get on there and she'll put something and she'll then she'll turn it off or whatever. And mm-hmm. um, so maybe I need to just change my you know uh, sort of approach to it and stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you do think about the the uh, you know Neil Postman and the, the warnings about TV even earlier than that. And um, yeah. TV hasn't really destroyed the world in the way that they predicted it would in the 1950s, you know. Uh, I mean, maybe you could argue that it has, but... But the world is being destroyed. <laughs> so <laughs> well, maybe... It is. There is that. But, but, but TV does sort of, I don't know, raise the level of engagement with a lot of people, you know, with yeah. the rest of the world in a way that they wouldn't have had yeah. uh, otherwise. So, I don't know. It's interesting. You'll need... Before we move on, I just want to say one more thing. I can't talk about Instagram without mentioning that uh, the reason it has a really bad rap mm-hmm. is because so much of it is so putridly bad. Yeah, yeah, and that's true. you have to come to terms with that in some way. Uh, there's a lot of the, you know, um, when I woke in the morning, you were gone. Mm-hmm. And it's like uh, some spilled wine on a thing or whatever. Something I've seen a lot is uh, there's actually, I don't know, maybe a hundred different people are all plagiarizing Mm -hmm. this one thing that's probably a line from a book from 50 years ago. But Uh it's uh, like, love her, but leave her wild. Oh, yeah. Uh It's like, love her, but leave her or just leave her wild, like Mm -hmm. leave her, but leave her wild. And so it's like it's both a sexy thing and it's Mm -hmm. also like yeah, don't tell women what to do. Like she's, she can become her own thing or, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's just like so many different uh, Instagram poets have done that. And it's like, I, I see it sometimes mm-hmm. and it's like 8 million likes and 500,000 comments and like uh, 10,000 people are like, mm-hmm. I just ordered your book, please sign it and all this stuff. And I'm just like, you know, there's a dark side. Mm-hmm. And it's, I remember, um, you know, Dinez Smith is one of my favorite uh, poets working right now. Um, and I remember they tweeted at one point, uh, and of course it's a tweet. It's not, not exactly their, it doesn't represent everything that they think or something. But they said, uh, friends don't let friends uh, quote Rupi Kaur non-ironically. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was, I was like, whoa. You know, that was kind of a, um, <laughs> that was sort of a, sort of, you know, drawing a line in the sand about the controversy and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And we probably shouldn't get into all that, you know, mm-hmm. because I, I think Bikur is good. I think she's just as good as anyone else. It's like, mm-hmm. if you look at the oeuvre of John Ashbery, uh-huh. and you look at the oeuvre of <laughs> Rupi Kaur, like, and you put some of those poems mm-hmm. next to each other, are you telling me that <laughs> John Ashbery is better than Rupi Kaur? Like, I, mm-hmm. I mean, it's subjective. It's subjective, yeah. you know, no one... But yeah. well, well, to me, it's it's not even you can't even say it's bad. It's just not poetry in the way that we mean poetry. So there's so, we're sort of really yeah. arguing about the definition of poetry itself or, or really art itself. Um, yeah. You know, I think it goes back to the whole idea of, of commercial um, versus fine art, maybe or, or just I, I feel like it's expression versus uh, exploration. And artists are exploring sort of the frontiers of their mind. And of the sort of right hemisphere and all that nonverbal detritus that's piled up and all the strange connections that we don't realize are there and we kind of know but we don't. And um, in the same way a Hallmark card isn't trying to do that, a lot of the Instagram poetry isn't trying to explore the depths of reality. It's trying to um, you know, express something that you already feel. 
And so it's 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 it's, it's like, you know, it would be, it would be difficult to write a Hallmark poem every day, you know, and have cards yeah. full, you know, fill the shelves with Hallmark, and they're artful, they're creative, they're just not trying to do the same thing at all. And I think mm. there's just a distinction there somewhere that needs to be better defined. And and it's sort of I think poets maybe get a little upset because. Um, um, you know, kind of it kind of tarnishes the idea or our idea anyway of what poetry is. Um, yeah, by calling it, there's poetry. a lot going on, man. There's there jealousy. Is, yeah. There is there's like a lot, there's yeah. racism. There's jealousy. <laughs> uh-huh. Like you know, people are like this. This brown woman is selling so many more copies than any mm-hmm. professor that has ever lived, yeah. and people can't handle it. You know, mm-hmm. it's really hard for them to handle that, and yeah. it's. Uh, I think it's very revealing. You know, but uh, I think it's. Uh, I, I mean, just on a base level, it's like Instagram poets or, or whatever you want to call it, you know, Rupi Kaur, people like that. They have found a way to, to harness these tools to get their work uh, in front of a mass, Definitely. mass mm-hmm. amount of people. Yeah. And I think the answer is not to denigrate them. I mean, you, whatever. You, you, every, anyone can denigrate. It's fine. But it's like. If you're if you're a poet and you're like, oh, well, I'm too good to use those tools that mm-hmm. will get my writing in front of millions of people, mm-hmm. then that's sort of uh, like fake pride or fake, you know, it's like mm-hmm. a weird situation. You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's such yeah. a complicated topic. I think we could go on for a while, but why don't we read a couple yeah. more poems? Right? You have some newer ones or some ones from you know different stuff. Let's, yeah. let's check that I, out. Yeah, why don't I read some new ones? Uh, this is a brand new one i actually just read it last night for the first time uh in front of a crowd i read with a great poet named claire welsh last night in burlington i'm here in burlington by the way if i didn't uh, mention that it's called love poem it's been five years since i've fallen in love and this time will be different this time corporate entities transcribe everything we say. The audio of our romance has value to advertisers. When I nervously ask to kiss you for the first time on the sidewalk, our smartphones listen through the muffled fabric of our clothing. We never turn them off. It doesn't seem necessary. Somewhere, A machine archives transcripts of the dirty talk our devices suck up from the bedside table. Somewhere, an algorithm decides what advertising to show us based on the data points of when you stick a finger in my ass and I like it. Our first fight is transcribed. Tracking how we weave our expectations and disappointments into the warp and weft of a catharsis, which ultimately brings us closer. Our forging of mutual trust is recorded. Our sympathy for the Palestinians is recorded. Somewhere far away, in a city of whirring servers, the cloud timestamps the moment I first tell you that I love you. Uh, and this one is called New Orleans Ghost Tour. And this is uh, a street poem. That one I just read, by the way, was not a street poem. That was uh, just something something I've been working on. Um, but uh, this next one is, it's for a happy family on vacation in New Orleans. And they were sad because they 
uh, didn't get to see any ghosts while they were in New Orleans. And so they wanted me to write them a poem that would be a, a haunting for them. And so this is what I gave them. New Orleans Ghost Tour. There's no need to manufacture a pageantry of fear. Why fetishize the gore of this city's history when it's already on our hands? If you want a ghost story, just turn on the news. You want to be haunted? Okay. Your taxes pay for the fleets of robots to rain death onto the children of the faraway villages you cannot pronounce. Right now. And now. And now. And now. And then the, the little kid just screamed and um and the dad gave me twenty dollars and we, we both uh went our went our way there. This is another one I wrote in the street and it has a story that I won't tell, but it's it's in uh you might have heard of like Spanglish or uh Franglais and this is sort of a uh Spanglais <laughs> El Océan Inside Le Caracol of Tuore Escuchas le murmurations of los waves licking la arena. Quand you hiras, the map to trace avec tes bare footprints desparece comme las mots d'une lettre écrite con disappearing ink. Y maintenant, finally, aprendes toi how to navegar como un sailor avec los new constellations formándose above toi, tu. You. This one, uh, this one's for you, Tim. This is, uh, this is, you might, you might, you might take this. Uh, I wrote this one. It's called Contemporary Poem. And I wrote it when I, I, like you said, you, you asked if I ever sit down and just write poems, you know, for myself at my house or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there was a, a lot, I don't know how long, but a long period of time passed. I think maybe when I was on tour or something and I, I really had not my writing practice. Uh, I just had not written something for myself, not in the street in a really long time. And so then I sat down to do that and it was sort of like, I am going to write a poem now. And so I thought, Oh, I'm gonna write a contemporary poem. That's what I'm. That's what I'm doing. You know, so I called it contemporary poem, and it's kind of about the, uh, you know, uh, poetry in general or something. But yeah, contemporary poem. Your cartography of desire, etching itself across the sky's purpling bruise. My flock of griefs. What pulses in the space between us, etc. My museum of delicate shibboleths, your museum of intricate nocturnes. Our panopticon of melancholies, witnessing each other witness each other. Our semiotic weapons ban, words like blithe, like glyph, like amethyst, etc. Our anthology of astonishment, verbing itself into being. Angst, as long as it's a synecdoche of angst. A murmuration of selfies, emoji braille, the rain's tattoo on our roof or whatever, 
the rain's tattoo on our pantomime of rhapsody, I mean. Provocative title, pegging in the Anthropocene, or something about squirting, something about fascism, something something elegiac fields, now something different, something unsayable without an italicized remaking of the landscape. The sound of your hymn breaking, the sound of a neoliberal elegy announcing itself to the Don's crepus school or whatever. The sound of a Wikipedia entry being edited to death by balding corporate lawyers. The sound of the body becoming cliche in poems three years ago, but none of us can stop. In the porno we make, your coming is a fermata you hold. When the government comes, I'm going to run. Let the reader write their own meaning into the poem. In the end times, all poems will become eulogies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh, you want me to do a, a few more or something, or um, uh, yeah, do you want me to read the? I could read the one from the new issue, or yeah, that's good. Why don't you close out reading the the one from the new issue? That'd be good. Oh, uh, real quick, I'll do one. I, I was just doing the Bookstock Festival, which was really really fun in in, uh, in Woodstock, Vermont, mm-hmm. and I, I wrote a poem uh, where I felt like I was being possessed by the ghost of Sylvia Plath, and uh, um, because someone asked me for a poem about. Uh, how their their son, who's a photographer slash poet, and he when he was born he he's fine, but when he was born he he came out blue because he had the umbilical cord you know wrapped around his neck. Um, this is what I wrote. It's called cyanotype, which is a the old type of photograph that only prints in blue tones. Cyanotype. The image of your face came out blue. You may not remember, but I do. You little escape artist, you. You did what anyone innocent would do. You slipped your noose knot through like a husband's necktie, periwinkle blue. Plum-faced child, you came out blue. You may not remember, but I do. Oh, wow, that's great. My, uh, my daughter came out blue like that. Really? She had the Yeah, she had the uh, umbilical cord wrapped around her neck twice. And wow. um, so they had to, you know, it was really scary for a, just a minute. And then you kind of forget. But, yeah, that's a great poem. Uh, okay, do you want to close out with the uh, last, that the new poem from the book? Or from the yeah, sure. issue of Rattling? Yeah, and I guess I'll read it kind of how I read it in the recording that's online. Um, where all, there's a caption that I wrote that's almost like a flash prose thing that describes kind of the context of it. The poem's called Good Manners, but there's sort of the story behind it. You know, I'm thinking how to kind of put these poems into context. And Instagram is is one of the ways I do that, uh, which is really fascinating to me because I'm also obsessed with the, the medieval troubadours. And I've been doing a bunch of research on the troubadours. And there's actually a whole form called a rosso, which is th- that exact thing, like a little bit of prose to put the poem into context. Um, also poems which are written for someone else instead of the poet themselves, you know. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll read the, the caption and then kind of insert the poem in the middle of it. Uh, wept with a customer, clutching each other in the street while no one understood what was happening between us. 
she's in love with a 62 year old man. And even though he's so much older, his muscles are tight from all the work he does and it turns her on. But at first he kept saying, Hey, I'm just using you. Like he was pushing her away. They fell in love anyway. And he finally told her the truth. Leukemia, a few years left. The doctors are helpless. There's nothing for them even to cut out. So in a letter, she joked with him that living too long is bad manners anyway. Good manners. Students of etiquette, we forever test the limits of our body's hospitality. When is too soon to leave? When is too soon to be left? How much can love be compressed? Will we become a diamond, etc.? When I say, and yet when I say the ropes of your muscles, I mean they are the rigging of a vast ship I tirelessly board. The wind will take us, that's all. We don't even know where. Now I feel empty and full at the same time, but you can't carry this around with you and be as lonely as I am. I had to exorcise it with a ritual of words to wash it away, and then a whiskey in Vesuvio that tasted like water or somehow sand. I bought a white rose from the bum sucking his gums at the other end of the bar and didn't even know why. Gave it away to Tony across the street at Specs, who looked at me all strange. City lights again today. It's not like I have a choice. Uh, thanks, Ben. That's a great poem and a great way to end it. Um, if I look down, thanks. We, we still have two dozen people watching, which is like a hundred percent retention. Which means I wow. think I think this retention reading, rate. yeah, yeah, I think this reading, uh, this reading online is going to work. Um, so, so just to close out, um, what do you have coming up? You mentioned a novel. You're working on a novel. Yeah, uh, I wrote a novel. It's an autobiographical thing. It's called It's called Poet for Hire. Kismet mm-hmm. of a 21st Century Troubadour. It's basically a kind of autofiction, Romana Clay sort of uh, thing about the last few years of my life um, traveling around the world and, and, and making a living this way and also some strange, uh, horrifying things that happened to my family and and apocalypse and fascism and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. And, and what do you have coming up? Is there anything you want to plug uh, for the rest of the summer or anything like that? Well, uh, last night was my last show which oh, wow. uh last last meeting so that feels really good to just kind of be done like it was uh pretty intense um last couple of months but an excerpt of the novel is coming out soon in lit hub so i'm not sure exactly when but that's pretty exciting because it's actually i've published little things in prose uh mm-hmm. here and there but it's it's kind of my debut sort of actual prose thing that's kind of getting out there oh cool so that's kind of exciting yeah uh-huh. yeah yeah very cool. Well, thanks so much for joining us and for being, sure. uh, you know, the experimental test subject of yeah, uh, of this yeah. of this new reading exactly. series. I think it, I think it went pretty well. It was really great. Yeah. So great talking to you. Great hearing these poems. Uh, once again, we're looking at a uh, currency by Benjamin Alshar. This beautiful book. If you want to check out a copy, uh, you can get it from Honeybee Press or wherever uh, fine books are sold. Um, <laughs> so so thanks again. Uh, Thanks again, Ben. It's great to great to talk to you. And uh, now we'll move on to the open mic part. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, yeah. Have a good one. Okay, so we are moving on to the open mic part. 
And this is the part where I'm not sure. We'll see how quickly we can get this to work. Now, uh, I'm calling Kevin Lemaster right now. He's the first one who asked to read. Uh, the phone's ringing. We'll see how quickly we can get up, up, up on screen. Well, here is Kevin Lemaster. Hi, Kevin. <laughs> nice to see you there. See you. Well, I don't see you, but nice to hear you. Yeah, that's the thing. For everybody who uh, is going to be on, I have to use my camera for uh, my own feed out, so you won't be able to see me. You'll just see my little icon. But, uh, Kevin, you're live on, uh, on the stream. So uh, where are you? Where are you calling from, and, and what do you got for us? Uh, South Shore, Kentucky. I, I have three poems, um, one about my wife's cancer, uh, one about my mother, and then another poem that's just uh, kind of a random that's great. Thanks. Well, before before you start, let me uh, uh, let me tell everybody that if you want to be on the open mic like Kevin is right now, um, just send a text message through the uh, Skype chat box uh, and let me know you're interested, and then I will call you. And that's how we're going to work it. Okay. And uh, and that's all there is to it. So so here you go, Kevin. All right. I'm going to start with one. It's called Zen Surgery. It's uh, my wife just underwent. Uh, Breast cancer surgery, and uh, this is written about her and for her. Their precise movements are a symphony of hands. The knife moves invisibly, slicing through skin as breath, making cancer a four-letter word whispered in curses. Snitches get stitches. We breathe a little quieter. Our sins disturb our sleep. What if I love you more after the scars? Oh, that's great. Thanks so much, Kevin. And that really worked well, too, with the, the technology. Uh, it's great to hear your poems. I'm sure if you, uh, you know, you've been a fan of Rattle and, and you've been around for a long time, uh, I'm, I'm sure you'd come to our readings if you were able to. So uh, now that you're now that we can do it on, online, we can have you all the time. So that's great. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, uh, we're going to let's try another poet. We're hanging up with Kevin now, and i got to get rid of these. There goes Kevin. Uh, let's call... Alexander Umlas. We'll bring her in. Hmm. Ah, there you are. Okay. So now hi. you're live live on video. Say hi to everybody. Hi guys. Yeah, so this is Alex uh, joining us from a pizzeria, she was just saying, in Chicago. In so, Chicago. Uh, this is Woo. Alexandra Umlas who um has a poem coming out in uh our next issue in the fall, which is just about to go to the printer on Friday. And um and she'll be the featured poet coming up in a, sometime in September, <laughs> and her daughter's there too. Okay, so Alex, uh, what, what do you got for us? I have a poem called The Yellow Watermelon, and it's for my youngest daughter, um, about a time that I cut open a yellow watermelon, and she was so amazed that I had to write a poem about it. <laughs> the Yellow Watermelon. Your gasp cut through kitchen summer air as I pushed the knife blade through the other side, green striped skin to green striped skin, the halves pulling away, the ruptured split to the unexpected. You had only seen glossy pink red insides over and over. Imagine waking to a magenta sky or the grass suddenly blue, the world turned sideways. Your surprise when the flesh presented itself marigold, as if the sun itself was buried in those emerald walls waiting for escape. Will it taste the same? 
Your mouth found flesh, bit into delight, condensed in impossible fruit. The world holding itself out to us, slice after astonishing slice. That was great. Thanks so much, Alex. Thank um, you. Could, uh, I hope you could hear me over the, the music. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I think I have to you know, listen back on uh, playback, but it sounded great to me coming in the first way. Um, so your book's coming up. What, what book did you just publish? Uh, I just published at the table of the unknown. Ah, okay. And uh, it's with Moontide Press. And it's just, re- it's really nice having a book, uh-huh. not having to print out all those poems. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, to read, but thanks for having me. And I really enjoy, I'm really enjoying the, uh, the, the reading tonight so great well thanks so much we're doing this every tuesday night and so uh, you know we can have the same people calling and open mic every time if you want so this is i great. love it yeah thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you in much more detail sometime in september we haven't set the date okay. yet but but some tuesday Sounds good yeah great thanks so much thanks tim yep bye bye guys okay and now we're going to go to uh sky jackson we'll see if she can uh we're calling her now and now you're okay. not there again. Ah, oh, there you are. Okay, great. <laughs> Yay, sweet. Yeah, so we have you. You can't see me because I have to use my cameras for uh, for what we have going on here live. But uh, but we see you. So hi. Hi, everyone. <laughs> so this is a good friend of uh, of Ben Alishire's, uh, Sky <laughs> Jackson. Uh, she was here uh, in Los Angeles with him at our reading uh, in June and read some great poems and, uh, looking forward to hearing what you got for us. Where are you now? Actually, are you in, uh, New Orleans or are you back home in New Orleans, fresh from tour with Ben? Um, so yeah, awesome. I'm, <laughs> I have a bunch of poems about Paris and I'm going to read one of those for y'all tonight. And I tried my hand at typewriter poetry this summer too. So I will read one of those for you guys as well. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> okay. This is the first typewriter poem that I've ever written, so it might suck, but I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, this is this is it. It is communal, this buffet of fear we share as easily as wine across a table. I pass my insecurity round like a loaf of bread, and yet when I've given it all away, I pray. For more, because my fear is all that feeds me, and the true horror is that I need it to survive. Very That's nice. That's my poem. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Do you have any any more, or is that just one today? Yes. Um, I have another poem as well. <laughs> this one I wrote in Paris, so it's very fresh. I call it currency. In Paris, everything feels like a movie. Even the violence is cinematic. Devolving in hot summer, shoes fly through the sticky air, tables launched like rockets. Blood-spattered shirts scream, witness this revolution. And as I watch in horror, four men project themselves at one another, the blood on their teeth glistening in the midday sun. A rush of black skin against black skin in the most physical war I've ever seen up close, that is. And all this at the entrance of the train. 
I think, wow, this is just like New Orleans. And my boyfriend laughs, says, yeah, except there, they'd all have guns. And right now, the news would spread of how at least eight or more are dead. And out of instinct, I duck and rush, trying to escape bullets that won't ever come. And then suddenly, all the tickets on the train are free. And we pass through the station with only our lives as currency. I think of a Twilight Zone episode when an alien said, people are the same everywhere. And I agree, because in Paris and New Orleans, violence packs its bags, but never takes a vacation. So perhaps that episode was right. The defenseless are still defenseless everywhere. Thank you. <laughs> thanks so much. That was wonderful. Um, yeah, thanks so much for being on here. Uh, I think we'll go to the next open mic caller. But the, the, the poetry here is just like our reading series, where the poems are just great and the open mic. And, uh, and Sky read some there, too, uh, in June. So it's great to see you again. Um, take care of yourself, and I'll see you soon. All right. Sounds good. Bye, Okay, then. bye. Let's see. I know we have uh, one more, one more caller at least. Uh, oh, we have a couple more. Okay, so here is Ginseng McKay Tisbert. I'm trying to give give uh, Ginseng a call. And action! There you are. Hello, Ginseng. So you're you're friends with Ben, I think. Uh, at least you are on, are on Facebook anyway. So kind of peripherally. Uh huh. Well, great. Yeah. So, uh, so where are you? Are you in Burlington or are you somewhere else? I'm in Vermont in Burlington right now. Yeah. Ah, cool. Uh, and what do you got for us? Um, I have a couple of poems. Uh, this is called magic elixir. The elixir was magic. It could change the skin. My granddad was in the flush started under his collar, made gentle the lines around the face he was stuck in slacken the words. It was during prohibition. Grandma's mamere prepare were storing whiskey for the mob. That sheriff showed up what they do. They fed all that whiskey to the hogs. Ho, 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 he laughed. Sunburnt old hogs lying drunk in the field. Hands gesticulated while the truck's wheel guided itself. We bumped and swerved right along the road. The elixir was that magic kind clear and ripe from a crystal bottle. It took the sun up, the past sun down. It took the rip green bang banging on one hinge it took the lonely nights cold no matter the season three palm lengths away from the turn back of a woman once young and on a runaway horse now weary with silent lips disappointment and shed it shed it all away like old skin granddad would drink till the new pink skin got droopy thick and all the stories messy half told down in town in that smoky room someone would break a bottle Granddad would throw a fist. A few men would haul him all staggering out. I'd drive the truck home straight as I was able. As he slept hard, changed back, gray and grim. Very cool. And you got another one? Yep, I have one more. Okay, awesome. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> a bird flown. Afraid to look at his head, I looked at his hands. Like the open wings of a startled bird. He greeted us, palms out, offering an emptiness. Mom said it was still there. I rode, savoring shotgun, not looking at her lips. They pursed and grimaced the word suicide. 
Afraid to look at his head, I looked at his hands as they caught and stroked young chickens, as they passed over mason jars sticky and gold with honey. I didn't let my eyes rest on the thin hair over the pale egg of his head, where blood pulsed in a bluish temple, somewhere the bullet slept like a death waiting to hatch. Somewhere behind his life of beekeeping and chick tending, he must have felt plucked with loneliness, gusting like the smell of snow and pines into his gut. Loneliness howling against his palms open and up defenseless as the open wings of dead birds strung up by their legs. We'd leave the way we came, passing the overgrown yards, busted out cars, summer on the fields louder than my thoughts of his hands. As we pulled out and he walked away, across his fields in a haze of pollen, letting go of green stalk, his hands, his hands, the open wings of a bird flown. Go off if folks can't hear. I see a lot of comments saying that we are mute. Oh, I am mute. Sorry about that. Yeah, I was mute. Oh. Um, okay, can folks hear me? Yeah, folks can hear you now. You're live. Sorry, that Sounds was entirely great. my fault. I try, to, I try to hit mute while I'm typing so no one hears the camera. I know, yeah. And it's, I have to uh... unmute myself. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, so you're, you're live on the stream right now. So, yeah, uh, hi, Robert McKay. Um, so this one is uh, um, sort of inspired by something Ben read. Uh, there was a motherhood poem, which I, I don't think I had heard before. It was quite lovely. So this is one. Um, it's got an epigraph from Ann Carson. I mean, you have to forgive me. I'm in a restaurant in Portland, so there's probably a good deal of background noise. Um, yeah, it's no problem. We can hear you pretty well, so go ahead. Great. So, so the epigraph is from Ann Carson, uh, and it sort of flows into the sentence that begins the poem, which is titled As Swells. Uh, the sentence is from, uh, the first three words are from uh, Carson's um, sequence of poems about her mother called Sleep Chains, and it goes, That strength, mother, as swells, salt, impetuous, unceasing, naturalized motherhood breaking on the shores of finitude, alien motherhood imported to this world of striated rock, sand, and exact accounting oceanic motherhood from a depth at which debts are paid in milk as the depths of the heavens where the way from an extraterrestrial selfhood to an alien otherhood arriving from inner space is paved with milk is sprayed with the milk of the infinite spray constellates nuclear deities motherhoods of absolute fire cell fission swells of fire washing down the long black hallway of space child tunneling into a world from infinite distance exuberant milk gorging still more like an undersea creature or a plant unlike anything recognizably human, but that's the mother's job, to replenish what we call the human with strangers, immigrants from a submarine interiority gasping on the beach for breath after the nine-month steerage trip from the deep reaches of some immortal's indecipherable dream. Well, that was awesome. Thanks so much. That was Robert McKay again. And where, where are you right now, Robert? Uh, I am in Portland, Oregon, in a random bar where my union organizing partner is meeting with some <laughs> comrades. So <laughs> that is cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, very cool. I'm so glad you could call in, and sorry to everybody for uh, the mic issue. I have to kind of, I try to mute it while I'm typing, and then I forget to turn it back on. So it's entirely my fault. We'll try to get back to Michelle Parks too. Um, 
so anyway, yeah, thanks so much. Uh, and, and call in again. Let's do it again. Thanks so much. Yeah, we'll see you later. Let's see. Let's try. Uh, let's try Michelle Parks. And in just a second, there you are. So everybody can hear you, and you're live on on YouTube right now. So and you're out. Yeah. You're outside somewhere. Where, where are you calling from? Uh, it's from Somerville, South Carolina, near Charleston, and it is awesome sauce. I love it, and I love being a part of this. So this is awesome. I'm having a lot of fun. I could I do this all night. This is really fun. Um, and so far, we have people from New Orleans, Portland, from two people from Vermont, someone from Chicago. So we're really, you know, we're all over the country already. So, uh, so what have you got for us tonight, Michelle? Um, I have one called. Well, I might have a couple. It depends on your time, but. This one is called There Once Was a Hag. Quite a drag on an ass to live with a hag who lived with the rats and ate soup from the bag that she stole from the nag, or so I was told. At 12 years old, they hid in the hall as rain poured through the roof, drowning the rats, scaring the last. Only God could save them from more. Well, God never came, only more rain, as Daddy barreled in through the door. So there was the hag and the man she once loved and the daughter who'd been pelted enough because God may be strong, but daddy was there and God just never showed up. You'd think that now in the eyes of this child, God would say that's enough. Such grace never came, not by praying his name. This daughter finally gave up. She begged from the nag, took money and hats, left daddy, God, the hag and the rats and lived happily after all that. So what of the hag who stood by the side of the monster who was bigger than God? Who gives a fuck? <laughs> that was great. Thanks so much, Michelle. You, have, you said you have another one, too? Um, yeah, I have another one. Uh, just looking for feedback on it. Uh, if you don't mind, it's called Golf. Yeah, sure. Love me as though you've never known war. The burning horizon was only a dream. Bodies of your brothers rise from the sea, mating with mermaids who give birth to boys who grow up strong and never bleed. Love me how you want it to be, as though the scars on your cheek were from climbing a tree when you were seven years old, had always been free. Caught a glimpse of heaven just before the fall, body fully mended just in time for spring. Love me how it always should be, Fill my womb with your tears. Be reborn unto me. As though the worries of the world could be damned by great deeds of noble men. Untainted by greed. Love me as though we were pure. Naked and knowing at the dawn of the earth. Immortalized in each touch. Each kiss. Love me as though death were a lie. That was very nice. Um, you asked for feedback, and I don't know if I'm able to give uh, feedback live like this, because I think what happens when you're listening is that you sort of get absorbed in the poem, and you can't really think about technically how the poem is working. So I don't think I can actually say anything, but I love the sounds and the repetitions in there. And um, I was engaged the whole way through. So, so thanks so much for reading. I hope you call in again. Uh, now we're going to do this every Tuesday night, and I will get the my end of it a little smoothed out. I'm still learning how to do this myself so uh it'll be a little little cleaner every time you do it but i hope you come back later that's awesome thank you so yeah, much thanks so much and, and we'll see you later michelle that was michelle parks again this is so fun this is cool 
Okay, so we're calling uh, Ken Ramil. I don't know where he is or who he is, but we'll bring him in in a second if he answers his uh, Skype call. I don't know if I've uh, I've said it while not on mute, but if you want to join in the the open mic part of the show, which is going to be the end of every show, we'll just go as far as people want to call and read poems. I think as long as, um, um, you know, as long as there's still interest and uh, there's still people watching and there's still people calling in. Ken, Ken, are you there? Can you hear me? Uh, so nice to see you. Thanks so much for calling in. Where are you calling from? Hello, thank you for calling me. I'm actually in Guatemala right now. Oh, Guatemala that is so City. cool. Oh, that's awesome. This works all the way around the world. That is just amazing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah. Yeah, so what, what do you got for us? Okay, so I'm, I actually don't know what to read because I have this poem that I kind of waited for like a year to, com- to be completed. Mm-hmm. But then, and then I have like short poems that I created here while I was here in Guatemala. While I'm here, I mean. So maybe we can start with this poem that I call An Appeal to Senses. Okay, great, yeah. Okay, so here we go. If you ever answer my question, look at me. Stare straight in the eyes and let me witness your pupils dilate. Letting in rays of light invade your insides the way you invaded my room. That one summer dusk, or dawn. The timestamp of photos still hold their truth. Snatches of moments and motions recorded in gaps and stops. If you ever answer my question, touch me instead. Hold me in the arms gently, or firmly, then adjust. Remember, you were always uncertain whether you were holding me just right. I will tell you this. It was always perfect when we touched. An explosion of chemicals into a world with closed doors we soon discover we could not hold. If you ever answer my question, listen to my heartbeat. Once it was a melody we both hummed to, a background music in the dead silences of long, lazy afternoons spent laying under the shade of the lonely acacia tree. They come in pairs, the heartbeats. You said, like us, a team. But we lost, my dear, because we had ourselves to contend with. If you ever answer my question, taste the reply. Savor the words around your tongue before you spit them. We already tasted bitter terms in absence of better idioms. You're so exact, you often said. I'm an accountant, I always countered. But who needs exact right now? If you say lemon is lime and coffee is wine, it would not change the outcome. We were devoured. If you ever answer my question, breathe me in. Smell the vast ocean you gave me in an open bottle while sealing vapors in the lungs. The air was heavy. It always was when you were around. Heavier when you were not. Imagine now that you are not any more constant. So I learned to float aimlessly like a driftwood washed ashore, waiting to be useful. Okay, that's that's the one. And then that's awesome. Thanks. I have here um, inspired by the ruins that we just saw last week, and I thought of it like a nice scenery, but then there's kind of sadness to it. So it. It inspired me to, to write this poem called The Ruins. 
Here it goes. Bricks in shades of ages, decrepit, rebuilt, an attempt to capture the grandeur, rained floors, roofless pillars, leaning, faithless saints, praying sinners, sparrows, illusion, flying free along the walls, spanning wings into life, death. That's awesome. Thanks so much for sharing, Ken. Okay. Are, are, you, uh, are you visiting in Guatemala or are you, do you live in Guatemala? I'm visiting Guatemala for seven weeks. I'm on my last two weeks here. Uh-huh. That is so cool. I've heard, uh, you know, I've seen articles about how with uh, that LIDAR technology, they see all these ruins in the jungle that, that um, they can't, you can't, you know, they didn't even know they were there uh, in Guatemala in particular. So are you, are you exploring a lot of stuff like that? Actually, no. I just visited the ruins mm-hmm. in the Antigua, the uh, old city. Yeah. And that's it. Because the real jungles are very far from here. And mm-hmm. we don't have time for that. Because I'm working in a project right now in the city. Uh-huh. So I just have like the weekends yeah. to visit there. Well, that was very cool. I really enjoyed that poem. Thanks so much for sharing. Thank you. Um, I love sharing my poem. <laughs> it's my first time to share it. Oh, that is so awesome. Well, I'm, I'm so glad to, to be able to, to hear it for the first time. And, and everybody watching will be too. Um, and so, yeah, f- yeah, please do call in again. We're going to do this every Tuesday night, and it seems like it's going pretty well. So I think we're definitely going to keep doing this. So uh, looking forward to seeing you again soon. I might join next week. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. See you. Okay, bye. But anyway, that, that is it for the night. I hope you enjoyed this uh, show. We still have 20 people watching, uh, according to the numbers, which is almost everybody who, who started watching originally. So an hour and a half of poetry every Tuesday night seems like it's going to be a good, fun thing to do. Um, and just a reminder that... Um, the poet today we featured was Benjamin Alshire, um, the the poet for hire, and uh, his book is Currency, and you can pick it up from uh, from Honeybee Press. He also has a poem in the current issue of Rattle. And uh, next week, I'll announce right now. I think I already have on Facebook that we're going to be looking at uh, we're going to having uh, as the featured guest uh, Lynn Thompson. Uh, her, her new book out is Fretwork, and she's one of the the most frequently published. Uh, Poets in Rattle. Um, she started publishing in Rattle way back in issue number eight, I think, which is before my time here even. Um, and she's published pretty regularly over the course of the 20 plus years she's been publishing in Rattle. She's published eight poems in our magazine, and uh, she's the author of about three or four books of poetry, a couple chapbooks. She's a really wonderful poet. And uh, we'll talk to her a little bit next week and then do another live open mic session. So, um, Thanks to everybody for uh, tuning in and hope you enjoyed it and hope you enjoy it every Tuesday night. We'll see you next week. We'll also see you for the critique of the week. If you follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash rattle magazine. I uh, use this little document cam here in better light settings and, um, and go over poem once every Friday afternoon uh, to try to improve it. We do a kind of online workshop. It's really fun, but it's only on Facebook live. So make sure you're following us again, following us on Facebook Make sure you're uh, you're uh, subscribed to this channel because we're trying to get up to at least 100 subscribers. Um, and that way we can uh, have a unique channel name. And then we want to get up to 1,000 so we can have live um, closed captions for some people who can't hear. I think uh, the, the way the closed captioning works, you need 1,000 subscribers before they let you do a couple things like embed closed captions happening spontaneously. So that would be really nice. So do click subscribe. Hope you enjoyed this, and I hope you have... A great day. 